0: Open up in a word of prayer. Father God, we we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy over our lives, Father God, that, that you do hold us fast, Lord, that, that we do have a high priest on our behalf who's taken the, the wrath of God on our behalf, Lord, who's, who's who was held on that cross for us, Father God. We thank you for that, Lord. We, we praise you for that. Lord, we ask that you be with us during this time today, Lord, as we As we open up your word, as we finish off this this fifth chapter in in 1 Timothy, Lord, be here with us. Use me, Lord, to speak to your people. May, May we be edified by what you have for us today, Lord. May we be convicted. May we be challenged. Lord, we ask that you bless this time together. Eliminate any distractions we may have, Father God. May we just take these next several moments to spend in your word listening to what you want us to listen to, Father God. So that we grow in our faith, grow in our love for you, Father. We ask that you be here, you meet us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as, as Matt said, we we're just continuing along in our series through First Timothy. And we're we're, we're gonna be finishing off the, the fifth chapter. And for those of you guys who were here last week, you know, Alex taught, you know, preached through 17 through 21, and, and really he he just helped us to see that, that the church. He said his main point was the church must honor and discipline its leadership with grace according to the law of God. That, that, that as when it comes to rulers, there are certain things that are in place that we as a church body, as members, we are to be held accountable. We are to hold them accountable. That we, they are to hold us accountable as well. And he kind of talked us through that that we are, as a church, we must honor elders sincerely. That we, as a church, when it comes to this issue, we must practice justice biblically. That we, in that, we are addressing sin courageously and that, that, that we fight favoritism, right? That, that this is what we're called to do, that we're called to, in a sense, hold those who are leading us, who God has appointed them, appointed in leadership, accountable. And they, in turn, hold us accountable. And we see that, and if we look at, look at, at the importance that Paul has put on elders in, in First Timothy, and if we look out to the rest of the world, we see that leaders are important to an organization. That, that when it comes to, to an organization or it comes to church, the church will only go as far as their leaders can go. And so it's, it's important that, that a bad leader can ruin a good organization, Right, when we've seen examples of that all throughout our society, where, where, where an organization is doing good, but but because they made a wrong decision in appointing some leaders or the, or the leaders in place are making some wrong decisions, that, that they go down from there, that they collapse. You know, We have some great examples of like Enron or even, even Blockbuster, those, those, those organizations that are no longer around because they couldn't adapt because they had poor leadership. And the church is not immune to that church is not immune to that, that when we're not holding our leaders accountable, when we just decide we're going to appoint anyone and we're not going through a due process. We're not taking our time. We're not being, being diligent. We're not seeking God first. That churches can really hurt from this. You think of Mars Hill where they were at such a great point in the early 2000s and because of bad leadership, because there wasn't any accountability amongst the elders and, and from the congregation to the elders. You know, they ended up just disbanding after their leader left. Think about what's going on with James McDonald and his church now. When there's not that accountability, when we're not doing what we need to do to, to go about in the process of electing leaders and holding them accountable like we talked about last week, it could really ruin a church. And it could really cho- cause a church to collapse. So we see that, that, that all throughout the scriptures that we see that, that, that God has placed a certain structure in his church and how they are to function. And a part of that is is this idea of of a church is to have leaders, to have elders in place, to help lead, to help rule, to guide the people of God. So they play, the elders and leaders play an important role in the church. So the question is, why should churches have elders? Is it important? The answer is yes. It's simply because the New Testament says that we should. That all throughout scriptures we see a place where, where God has a leadership structure for his people. And that's how that, the church is meant to function. Truth is, is that a healthy church has a plurality of elders. A healthy church has, has good leaders in place to guide them. That's the most important aspect. It's not whether how many programs they may have. It's not about how many people are in the seats. It's, it's who's in place. It's the kind of structure. Are, are they following what God has called them to do? And you see, we see this in, in Titus 1, five. Paul says to him, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And he's telling Titus, like, like, this is important. This is what you need to do. I'm telling you, you need to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That this is important, that that leaders have to be in place for, for a church to be functioning healthy. All right. So Paul, and we see this also in Acts 21, when Paul, and he's going down the path, and he knows that his time is coming to, to an end. And he's on his way to Jerusalem, and, and he wants to stop it in the church in Ephesus, but he just can't. He can't make it happen. So what he does is, is he calls the elders of Ephesus to come and meet him. So he sent to them, and the elders are called, and they come to meet him. It says this in, in verses 28 to 31. He's, this is the charge he does for elders. He says, pay, pay careful attention to yourself. This idea that, that Paul, he couldn't come to the church. He couldn't go and, and see the congregation. So, so just as important, he calls the elders there, and he gives them this charge to take care of the church, to pay careful attention, to shepherd them. And it's the, it's like, if I can't be there, then then I have leaders in place. I have elders in place who can do out this, who can guide the people. And that's the purpose. That's why it's important, because we see it. All throughout the scriptures, the elders are in place to help shepherd the flock, to oversee them. As we've been making our way through, through First Timothy, we've seen that that for most of this book, Paul places an emphasis on elders. He has a whole chapter on, on, on the qualifications for elders, on, on what they have, to, the kind of characteristics they need in their life, what, what they need to be doing, right, for those leaders of the church, for elders and for deacons. So it's not just... It's important. It's it's important because we see it in scriptures and we have these qualifications that we are to be looking at. And so the question is, how are these men appointed? Can anyone just choose to be an elder? Can anyone just decide to get up one day and say, I'm going to lead this church? And the answer is no. That we have here, what we see from here in verses 22 to 25 is this idea that, that that you're not to be too hasty, not to be fast and, and eager to elect leaders. And so there comes a time in a church when they have to elect leaders. They have to elect elders and put them in place. So how does that go? You know, it happens cuz as a church grows, you need more leaders. You need more elders in place to help meet the needs of the church. You know, you want to make sure that that you're taking care of those leaders already in place. You don't you don't want to overburden your leaders. You don't want to overburden them and get them tired. So that's why we appoint more leaders. You know, if we, if we look at the context, we look at, at what we talked about last week, where, where he says, you know, if to rebuke, in verse twenty, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of God, so that the rest may stand in fear. So, there there may become a time where an elder is in sin, and and and, and the other elders in the congregation may have to hold him accountable, rebuke him publicly, and hold him accountable. And what happens if that elder decides not to repent of his sins? There may be a time in church where, where we may have to remove someone from being an elder, from, from a leadership role. And in doing so, then now you find yourself in a place where you have to elect someone new, bring someone new up. And that's where we get into this verse today, where, where Paul, because of this, and he's seen this has happened. He said, this may happen where, where someone doesn't repent. He says in verse 22, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. This idea of the laying on of hands is is this common practice that we see throughout the scriptures. That that really signify when we see Christ laying the hands in Matthew 19 on children. Oftentimes when you lay the hands it's to identify this people or this person as someone who's a part of the kingdom of God. We see this in Matthew 19 where, where the children were brought to him. To Jesus, and, and he goes to lay his hands, the disciples start rebuking people, like, no, we don't have time, or whatever it may be. And he says, he responds to them in verse 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And we see, by, by, by laying his hands on the children, what, what, God, what Jesus is doing, he's identifying them as part of the kingdom of God. You see this all throughout the books of Acts, as, as, as the apostles are preaching, as people are being converted, they lay their hands on the new believers. And in essence, they're identifying them as being a part of the kingdom of God. So that's one reason that, that we, we have throughout the, throughout the scriptures on the laying of hands. Other times, it's, it's a public recognition of authority. It's, it's this idea that, that by the laying of hands on these people, I'm commissioning them to have authority within the church, to go out on our behalf. We see this in Acts 6 when, when, when the apostles are, are, are trying to to dole out responsibility and they ask for seven men to be picked to come so they can start taking care of, of elders and more of the day-to-day needs. And once those seven are chosen, we see in Acts 6, it says, Acts 3, 6, these set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. That after the seven were chosen, the apostles went and they laid their hands on them before officially commissioning them on behalf of, their, of the church, of them, to do their duties that they're asking them. So it's the recognition of authority. It's, it's that the people have been commissioned to lead, to be commissioned to preach the gospel on behalf of the church, on behalf. And those, this is the apostles. Same thing is, we see this in Acts 13.3 as well, when, when Paul, at the time, who still saw, and Barnabas were sent apart to work and preach the gospel. It says that, that they laid their hands on them before sending them out. After they fasted, after they've prayed, they go and, and they laid their hands on them. It's this idea that, that we are, are, are acknowledging that they now have authority, they're now commissioned on, on behalf of us, on behalf of the church, to, to go out and preach the gospel. Paul alludes to to, to the laying of hands on Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12 and in 2 Timothy 1.6 where where he says, And and the hands were laid on you. This idea that that you were now put into this authority. You were given this this authority within the church as an elder by the laying of hands. So looking here, we can look at just the context of everything that's been happening, what we just went through, and really the context of this this chapter in the in the book in whole and see that 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 what Paul's talking about when he says do not be hasty in the laying of hands is is it's, it's, he's talking about the the um, ordination as we call it now or 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 admi- or appointing people into leadership and so he says do not be hasty in the laying of hands don't be quick don't be eager to put people into into leadership roles and so that leads me really my first and only point, that the church must use discernment in electing leaders. This idea of not being hasty, of not being too eager quick, it's it's this idea of just taking your time, like use discernment, don't just come, don't just decide to put the first person who shows up and you think they sound good, everything looks good on the outside, and say like, yes, we're going to go with this person. This idea, but take your time, do not be hasty, do not be eager, do not be quick to a point. Leaders, this idea of, of using discernment means being deliberate in your process. That, that you don't just have hardly decided to jump into this and, and, and look for someone new, but that you're deliberate in, in your process on how you go about things. That's to, to be deliberate, it's to be the opposite of hasty, to be the opposite of, of just quick and eager, but it's to slow down to so take your time. It's to be wise and to be careful and to be cautious as you go through this process of electing new elders as the, or putting new leaders in place. He's called to use discernment, being deliberate. See this idea of if you're doing something hastily, then you're doing it out, out of rash. You're not taking the time to think. You're not, you're not really praying about it you're just doing it because you need something quick something fast if you're being hasty you're not doing the proper due diligence needed to really put someone in that position of authority so he says do not be quick to appoint elders or leaders so Paul, you know, what, what, why is Paul warning against so this, this this idea, if you look back at verse 20, like I said, this idea that we can find ourselves in a time where, where we feel like we need to move forward, that we need to, to place someone quick because of, of um, something that may have happened. In some cases, I, and look at verse 20 of someone who, who was in sin and, and leaders who were, who were teaching false, false doctrine. And so they've been removed and there's an eagerness to move forward. And he's warning against that. sometimes it's good to to go through the growing pain. Sometimes it's good to allow God to work in the midst of the mess that's going on in our life. To be deliberate is to have a process in place. And for those of us who was with us earlier today as we had the the Q&A downstairs, we have a a unique process in place here where we're trying to be deliberate. We're trying to use the sermon in that but there are instances in some churches where that's not the case. And so that's what Paul is warning against here. So what does it look like? You, you, you do your due diligence. Right? You have, you theoretically, you should have multiple people in place to help with this process. Like think, of, think of our search committee. We, we were, the transition team was intentional in choosing who we chose for that committee. We wanted to be a direct representation of, of our congregation. Wanted to make sure that, that the old, that the young, that, that everyone across generational, line, generational lines were represented. And then we voted on it. Like we, we gave you guys time to think about it, to pray about it, and to, to, to really ask, seek God if this is what he wants. That's what it looks like to, 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 to use discernment. and we, And we spent time praying about it. Really, to to, to use discernment to be deliberate is is to remain steadfast in prayer throughout the process. That we must remain praying before God on our knees as we go through this process. It's not just a one-time thing. That We don't just pray at the beginning or at the end, but, but we're praying for this. So we're praying for ourselves that we have the right heart, that we put any prejudice that we may have behind us, and that we really look at who God is calling we're praying for that future individual. My hope in prayer is that, that ever since we announced that we were be going through this process, that, that a part of your prayer life has been, God, whoever you've placed, whoever you will have come into this pulpit, please let it be who you want. And you're praying for that individual beforehand, even before you even know. You're, you're spending time in prayer. You're spending time praying for the congregation that this could, as, as we transition, as we're in, in a season of, of, some, of uncertainty that that God helps his people to remain to steadfast in him. You deliberate, I would say encouragement that that, that you deliberate is is to be fasting throughout throughout the process, especially when when it comes to, to electing someone who's going to be in charge, who you're pointing to that leadership role who's going to be in charge of of making some some big decisions that we should be spending time fasting. Seeking God for his wisdom, seeking God for his guidance. We're deliberate. We, we need to use discernment and, and we're deliberate in and, and, and the process. The reason we do that is because as Paul, as we see at the end of verse 22, Paul drives the, the point home with, he says, Nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And so we want to use discernment. We want to be deliberate. Because at the end of the day, you are accountable to some extent for the sins of those who you appoint. He says this, nor take part in the sins of others. Verse 22, keep yourself pure. Or as A.N.S.B. says, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. So we see that, that, that those who, 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 who are in charge of, of appointing leadership, of appointing elders, they have to be using discernment. They have to be praying because at the end of the day, they, if the, they don't go through the process right, if they're too hastily, they share some of the responsibility. They're partially accountable to God for the transgressions of those elders that, that they placed or those deacons that they placed or those leaders that they have in place. I'm not saying full, but I'm saying partial. Like if you're not doing the due process, if you're going, if you're trying to hurry and you're not seeking God and you're trying to do it according to your own standards, what we see here is that, is that Paul's saying that, that you will share in their responsibilities, in, in their sins, in their judgment. You will share in their, in their shame. I'm not saying it's all, it's if, if you're not going through the process, if you're not thoroughly examining someone, and you're trying to cut corners, and you're trying to be haste, you share some responsibility of their sin for, for putting that person in place. You will suffer the same guilt. You will suffer the same shame as the one who's committing the sin because because that position is, is so, so reverent in our church. We have to understand the importance of it, and we don't take that lightly. As Alex shared last week, we don't choose because according to what our preferences are. As as Pastor Ralph shared this morning, you don't choose because because you didn't like the way the person has their hair or or the shirt that they were wearing. You choose because that's who God has called. That's who God is calling to that. In order for that to be clear, we have to remain in prayer. It's a vital, it's an important part of all this. He says, keep yourself pure. Keep yourself free from sin. We have to have a reverence for the position and a reverence for the process and a reverence for the qualifications that we see in First Timothy 3. If we don't have a reverence for it, that's when we start making haste and rash decisions. so we have to understand the importance of elders, of the importance of leaders to the church. See, what Paul is doing here by calling Timothy, and really those who, who with Timothy, Timothy will appoint them by, by calling them to remain pure, to, to free themselves from sin. He's saying, take a watchful care over your own uprightness. Take into consideration how this will affect your standing. Take this into consideration how this will affect the rest of the congregation, He's saying, Distance yourself from any involvement with the sins of others. We do that by remaining, using discernment, being deliberate as we go through the process. And it's important to us. And and we've seen for those of us who are with us this morning how long that process can take or it may seem. And and really, we don't have a a timeline in place. There's nothing in, in the Bible that says you need to take three, six months or a year just you have to do your due diligence you have to be honoring god paul goes on in verse 23 and it just kind of seems like this this is kind of out of nowhere he's been talking about this and then he just kind of adds this and we don't know why paul decides to all of a sudden switch focus here for a little bit but but he does and it perhaps has something to do with with calling timothy to remain pure and this idea that, that he and that he's reminded that Timothy has, has vowed to remain abstinence from alcohol. So so he, he just throw this he throws this in here. And so we're gonna just look at it briefly and deal in twenty-three. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So what what is what is Paul saying here? Well, first and foremost, what is Paul not saying? We see that Paul is not telling Timothy to abstain from alcohol. There's nowhere in, in here that you see that there's nowhere in, in scriptures do you see that where we're told not to drink but we do have is we do have the bible warns and it warns vehemently against drunkenness and against it's very serious the warnings that that we see all throughout the scriptures about not being holding to alcohol not being holding to wine and so we see that the fact that the Bible does warn so vehemently against drunkenness is something that, that if we decide that, that we're going to go ahead and enjoy a glass of wine or a beer, whatever it may be, that, that you do that, it's not a flippant choice. That, that you decide you're able to do that because you've searched the scriptures, you spent time in prayer, and you've seen that that, that this is okay, but as long as you're doing it right. Right? We also, we don't place restrictions on other people. We don't bind people's conscience. Paul is not here trying to bind Timothy's conscience. He's actually saying, you know, have a little wine. You know, Timothy, for whatever reason, had decided to to um, be, remain abstinent from wine, to abstain from it. Whether it's because he wants to be above reproach, as we see in First Timothy 3.2. Or he wants to be sober-minded. He wants to be able to tell people that he's pure in this. Maybe there's people within the congregation that are struggling with alcoholism, and, and, and Timothy decides that he's going to not drink. So what, what we can deduce is, is that Timothy seems to be abstaining from alcohol for the sake of his congregation, and there's beauty in that. There's beauty in, in, in a leader saying, "For I'm not going to do this because I know what it could look like, and I want to be a good testimony to the people I'm leading. But really, what, what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about, about health. Right, do not, he says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The Timothy had been sick, and, and, and we, we, we don't have to get into why it's just the first century church, they don't have good water. And so he's saying, take a little wine so, so that you're not sick, that you're not hurting, and you're able to really dole out the responsibility to live according to what God has called you. Right, we all know those people. I used to be one of those people that, that would get a headache. And I was like, oh, I don't want to take anything. I don't want no Tylenol. I don't want no ibuprofen, no Advil. And I, I'll just sleep it off. We all know those people who decide they don't want to take anything and spend the rest of the day complaining about their headache, looking for, for some mercy. But but really, like what, what, the reason why why it's okay, why we need to be taking care of ourselves and make sure that we're able to function accordingly is when we do. Like for me, when when I get some bad headaches, I can't function accordingly. And if I don't take something, then I'm, I'm out the rest of the day. So Paul, what Paul is telling here, Timothy, is don't risk your health for optics. Just because you want want to be above reproach, you want to seem pure to people, don't risk your health for that. Have a little wine. It's okay. It's okay to take a Tylenol or Advil when you have a headache. It's okay to go to doctors and, and take some medication. It's really what Paul is addressing here. Moving on, he goes on 24: for the sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also the good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So why should the church use the sermon? Why should we expect those who, who are we who are place to, to elect elders to put them in place? Why should they use the sermon? Why should they be deliberate and not hasty? Why are we asking them to be diligent, to to make sure they're going about the process the right way? Because some instances, the sins are obvious. You can look at a person, and within the first couple questions, know that they're not fit to come into that role of leadership in the church. And those are the good cases, right? Those are the ones we love, where we can just look at the person and, and see from one question or two questions, that they're not fit. But there's instances, as we see here, that but the sins of others appear later, that there's some instances where the sins aren't obvious. You know, the NASB reads, the sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow later. This idea that you can look at someone, and as soon as they walk into the room, you can say their sins are following them. You know, they're not fit to be leader. They're not fit to be a deacon. They're not fit to be an elder in the church. And we enjoy those those instances. We love those instances. Those other instances where that's not the case. And because that's not the case, that's why we have to go through the process that we're going through. That's why it takes time. You have multiple people in the room or during the interview process, you have multiple interviews. It's because we want to make sure that the person who, who's, who's coming, who's applying, who wants to be put into leadership are capable. That they don't have anything that's going to creep up. That's why it's important to use the sermon. It's important to remain in prayer. It's important to just be in touch with God and be asking him to reveal certain things to you. To look beneath the surface. Right? It's important to ask the hard questions. What's, what's your biggest sin that you're struggling with? Things like that. It's important for that, for us to be doing that. You know, and also it's important to be, as, as Ralph said, he wants to interview not only the man, but, but the man's wife. and Perhaps talk about if the man has served in other places before. Talk to those who, who've seen him serve. Because that's how you get a better idea of who the man is and if he's qualified or not, if he's fit to be a leader. It takes time to do all this, and that's that's there's beauty in that it takes time because it's important. But with time, some of it, some of those things that may disqualify may come to light. Think about the process, and Ralph talked about it earlier today about the process that we have within the BFC for someone to be ordained as 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 an as a pastor as an elder within within the BFC. Starts off with you filling out a questionnaire. Then you have to, an initial interview. From there, that person decides after the interview if you're good or not, if, whether they move forward. And if they move forward, they send you another questionnaire. you got to write a 10-page paper. After that, you got to have an oral exam. And even after that oral exam, there's a two-year waiting process within the BFC to see whether that person will be credentialed as a pastor. And it's to see, those two years are to see if if they're fit, if, if they're going to be, the, the hope is that during those two years, they're serving within a church. And you get to see how they serve, if anything comes up in those two years. And after those two years, then the BFC will, will officially give the man his ordination, his credentials. And really what we see to be ordained within the BFC, it's a two, at the very least a two-year process, maybe a three to four-year process. And that's because we have to be able to give time for this idea that, that the sins may come up, appear later. That's in place to protect the, con- the local congregation. It's in place to, to, to protect the BFC as a denomination. We have here in our, our church, we have a one-year probationary period on, on our elders that we vote for them. And they, and they remain on probation for one year. And then after that one year, we come again and we vote whether they, we want to let them serve for another three years. It's to see if anything comes up in that one year. All that's in place for the safety nets to protect the local congregation. Because of the instances where, where some sins may appear later. We don't know everyone, right? Someone can walk in and, and they say all the right things. They look the right way. They have all the right credentials. And then through time, you realize that that they, they're just not fit. So we give ourselves a leeway. Give ourselves that time because it's important. You can really set a church back if, if you elect someone who's not qualified, who's not fit. The same is true for their good works, as we see in 25. So also good works are conspicuous. Even those that are not cannot remain hidden. The idea that, that 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 you can you can look at a man and you can see some of his good works and even sometimes may not but they will eventually come to be this is why it's important to, to, to be deliberate to have a process in place and it's encouragement for me as as you know serving on, on the transition team and just kind of being here throughout this season to see that that we have a process in place that we now are going to be moving forward with a candidate. But it's just not at the word of the transition team, but now the elders, the circuit elders, Ralph and Mark, will meet with him. And as Ralph said earlier, they, they may find something in their interview process that, that that brings up some warning signs. And that's all where, where there seems like we're just dreading on. It's for the good of the church. It's to protect the congregation to make sure that when it is time to call someone to appoint them to the, to be a leader to appoint them to be the pastor of the church that they're fit that they're the right candidate so so just I want to just encourage you guys that that, that we're we're almost there there's a the light in the, the tunnel but that this process has we've been deliberate in this process we've been purposeful the people who have been serving on the on the search committee serving on a transition team the surrogate elders we've been praying Together, we've been praying on our own for this. The truth is is that there's not a timeline. The Bible does not lay out this is what you need to do, X, Y, and Z. But we are what we can tell from this verse and from the rest of Scripture that that we are to, to be deliberate, we are to use discernment, we are to seek God in the process. We're given these qualifications in chapter three. We're to look and see if these men meet these these qualifications. That's all we're given. We're given qualifications and we're told to just take your time. Don't be hasty and spend, pray, 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 and pray. And if you do that time, whether it's a month, whether it's three months, whether it's a year, whether it's two years, if you stay true to that. If you search after God and you seek him, you will be, you'll find yourself in a place where you're electing the man of God who God has chosen. So we see here that God is calling us to have elders in place. It's important for the church, but at the same time, that that we don't just choose anyone, that, that, that we have these qualifications, we're told to take our time because it's important. It's important for the church. It's important for for the life for the of the congregation for the church to move forward. And we are we are held accountable if we're not doing ever ever going hastily, if if we're not taking into consideration if we're not in prayer. We ourselves are accountable for for the sins of those people. So just my encouragement is we're, we're, we're moving forward. It may seem like we're taking a long time. It may seem like it's been nine months. But it's because we want to honor God. And we want to make sure that that, that that we have the man in place who God is calling here. Not who we have a preference for, but, but who God has appointed to serve here. And we're almost there. Stick with us. Keep us in prayer. Keep the transition team in prayer. Keep the search committee in prayer. Keep the surrogate elders in prayer. And realize that God has a man. Be praying for him. Let's close up. Father God, we, we come before you, Lord. We thank you because you are a sovereign God. You are a God who, who cares for his people. And we know because of, of your sovereignty, because of who you are, that you already have a man. You already know who you're going to have come into our midst here and lead this church into this next season of, of life, Father God. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you are a God who who cares for his people. Who's given us a way out through your son's death on the cross. Be with us, Lord. May we not lose hope during this time. May we, re- when we see that, that there's beauty in the process, there's beauty in honoring God and, and according to His words and going about things according to to what He has revealed to us in Scripture. Be with us the rest of this weekend, Father God. May we take the rest of this day to honor You, to praise You, spend some extra time in Your Word, spend some extra time praying guide us Lord may we remember you on this day in your name we pray Amen